as I get started today, I just want to go ahead and put, uh, put this out there. We're going to get out a little late today, and I want y'all to know it's not the preacher's fault, okay? Uh, and it's, it's, not, it's not even Jeremy's fault, but we're stretching the service a little bit for your good. I just need you to know it's for your good because they're cooking up waffles out there, and they said they need a little more time, all right? So I see you start checking your watches. We know, okay? We know. All right. What is one of the hardest things for human beings to say besides Worcestershire sauce? <laughs> Anybody know how to say it? What was it? Worcestershire. Yeah, I put I put that word. Uh, I told nine o'clock this too. In the same camp that, uh, like Bible names or places. Um, you know, when I was growing up, my dad he was a Sunday school teacher, and one of the great life skills that my dad he gave me many, but one of the great life skills that my dad passed on to me. He's like, Laura K, you just gotta say it like you know it and keep on moving, and that's how I treat Worcestershire sauce, Worcestershire, whatever it is. Okay. So besides that, what is one of the hardest things for human beings to say? Dad, you got an answer. Oh, there you go. I'm sorry. I was wrong, maybe. Is that yours? Y'all got it. I was wrong. I'm sorry. I made a mistake. I see him and mom like hitting each other back there because there's a good story behind that. I think I might have told this before, but um, I was 29 years old the first time my mom said that she was wrong about something. (laughs) And... uh, and uh, we were all so shocked. I think we all stopped breathing for a few minutes. Uh, and then one of us took off running to the kitchen, grabbed the calendar. We circled the date on the calendar, and we still celebrate it as a family holiday every year. <laughs> of course, Jeremy would say the apple doesn't fall very far from the tree. But tread lightly, all right? Don't, you don't have to say anything, okay? Uh, but this isn't just a mom problem, and this isn't just a Laura problem. This is a, a human problem, right? We all struggle with this. Um, so much so that there is one TV character that, that uh, when the creators were writing up the show, they, they let really personify this for us. You know, they really portrayed this struggle of ours very well. Who remembers the Fawns from Happy Days? Anybody remember? All right, let's, let's take a look together. I was ruined. It's kind of stuck in my throat here, stuck in my throat. Ralph, look. I was ruined. I was not. I was ruined. Ralph, I was ruined. I was not exactly right. Yeah, but I want to tell you something. I still don't think I did anything. I can't say that. Yeah, but what I really want to say is that I am very, uh, <laughs> Richie, I am sincerely. Font, you don't have to say you're sorry. Good, I won't. All right. And that was just like a little snippet, like the water uh, clip that I found was like over three minutes long of him just like failing over and over and over again to speak these difficult words. I was wrong. I'm sorry. I made a mistake. I was at fault. Everything inside of us resists making such admissions, but... It is only when we're willing to to recognize and admit that there is something that is off that we can then begin to to work to make it right. 
It's only when we are willing to recognize and admit that something that is off that we can start to reconcile it, that we can make this exchange uh, between one way of, of thinking or believing or feeling with another. Um, in the passage that we read earlier today from Romans chapter 5, it, it talks about this idea of reconciling three times in 11 short verses. But if you zoom out a little bit, what you discover is Paul's actually been talking about this for, for longer than that, this whole idea of reconciliation. It's the thing that, that underlies this whole passage. And if you go back and look at, at Romans 4, you see that he's been, he's been talking about this for a bit. He's been considering this question, how are you and I reconciled to God? which is a very big and a very important question, right? And what he's putting the exclamation point on throughout both of those chapters is the fact that it is through faith in Jesus, not through our works, not through the law. But even as he's clarifying all that, there's, there's a bit of mystery that surrounds how this takes place. How is it that Jesus reconciles us to God? The Greek word that is used for reconciled was originally an accounting term. It was about finances. It meant to exchange coins, to exchange money. And so a lot of times we, we've taken that in a very, very literal sense as we've tried to understand what Jesus has done for us. We've, we've essentially said that reconciliation looks like a business transaction, right? I am in debt to God because I have sinned is kind of how the logic goes. I've made a mistake. I was wrong. And to be honest, like maybe God's kind of mad about it. He seems to be. Uh, and so, but if I say those, those very difficult words, if I say, I'm sorry, then, then Jesus who died on the cross for my sins, he will pay my balance for me to God. And then what happens is God moves me from one column to another in his ledger, right? He moves me over from being a debtor to being a partner, from being an enemy to being a friend. End of story, transaction complete. But what if that isn't the full picture? What if God is more than a divine pencil pushing debt collector with a bit of an anger problem? And what if he sees us as so much more than a business transaction? Romans 5, it describes reconciliation as this very dynamic and relational thing. It describes it as being something that is so much more than just like settling our account on a ledger, but rather reconciliation is depicted as this thing that gives our lives meaning and purpose and direction. And so, Let's dig in together and see what else it is that we can discover here. Carson's having a hard time back there, isn't she? I'm sorry, Carson. I know I talk too much. You're going to hear it the rest of your life, I'm afraid. Uh, first of all, uh, Romans 5, it begins with a word that we do not want to miss. It begins with a connecting word, therefore. And a lot of times when we just pick up a passage and we start reading it, it's like, therefore, and we just like keep on going, right? But therefore is kind of important. If you see a word, therefore, it means like there's been this whole argument that's led up to it, right? Therefore, it's telling us that whatever is about to be said is based on what has already been said previously, that it's the culmination, the consequence. And so we need to look back before we can charge forward, all right? 
And when we do, what we discover is that Paul has been recounting this very important story in the life of the Jewish people. He's been recounting the story of Abraham, the father of the people of Israel. And in doing so, he's helping us and them not just like understand in our heads what it means to be reconciled, but he's helping us to experience it, to feel it again, to really get the punch of what God has done for us. And so let's look back at that story. When we first meet Abraham, he's not known as Abraham, right? He's known as Abram. Some people should name their children that. I mean, it's a beautiful name, Molly and Eric. Um, He's known as Abram. And, And you know, like, as far as we can tell from what's written in Genesis, like, he hasn't done anything grand. He hasn't done anything important. He hasn't done anything to distinguish himself for God to come and seek him out. But for whatever reason, this normal everyday Joe, seemingly out of nowhere, one day hears God speak to him. And here's what God says. He says, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land that I will show you. Imagine for a moment, you're going about your everyday normal routine. Maybe you're driving down Scottsville Road. God bless your soul. (laughs) Maybe you're walking in from your car through the parking lot to work. Dun, 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 dun. Or maybe you're walking um, from your back door out into your garden and you can like hear the birds chirping. You can feel the warmth of the sun on your face like you're a princess in a Disney movie. I don't know. Whatever your routine looks like. Imagine you're going along and all of a sudden you hear a voice from heaven that says, go. Leave everything that you know. Leave everyone that you love and go to this place that I will reveal when I'm ready to. I don't know about you, but I would have some questions, right? Although if it was Christmas time on Scottsville Road, I might not hesitate. I might say, go ahead, just whisk me away. (laughs) Um, But any other time, I think I would be saying, "Um, excuse me, who are you again? Um, Why why me? Can you tell me about at least the climate of the place that you're sending me? Because if it's tropical, I will consider it, right? Can I possibly see a step-by-step itinerary before I, I sign up for this? However, Abraham, he doesn't seem to put up much resistance. Maybe he had something similar to Scottsville Road back in Heron where he was living at the time and God caught him stuck in traffic on his camel during holiday season. We don't know. All we know in Genesis 12 is this. We know that it says simply, so Abraham went as the Lord had told him, period. He went. Now, while God had been pretty short on details about this place where he was sending him, what God had given him was some pretty big promises to sweeten the deal. God had told Abraham that he was going to make him into a great nation and make his name great. He told him that he was going to bless those who blessed him and curse those who cursed him. He told him that everyone, all the peoples of the earth were going to be blessed through him, which all sounds pretty awesome, right? But here's what we have to remember. In between this promise that Abraham is receiving from God and its fulfillment is this really big, huge, gigantic, gargantuous, seemingly insurmountable problem. And that problem is this. 
Abraham doesn't have an heir to make into a great nation. And not only does he not have an heir, he's not a spring chicken, y'all. That's what my dad always reminds me when I'm like training for a race or something. You're not, thanks dad for that, by the way. Abraham's not a spring chicken. At this point in time, he's like 75 years old and and he's going to get older, you know, as the story goes on. And his wife, Sarah, she's beyond her childbearing years. It seems that Abraham and Sarah have missed the window for starting a family of their own. And so I can just imagine like people starting hearing, hearing about them leaving and going to this other place and becoming this great nation, like looking at them and thinking, whew, that's kind of ridiculous, right? They've lost touch of reality here. They're in denial. But what does Abraham do? He goes. He hopes against hope. However, years would go by. And Abraham, he still had no heir in this gap between God's promise and its fulfillment. And in the middle of this gap where that big problem was, I'm sure that there were lots of doubts and that there were lots of questions. In Genesis chapter 15, we hear some of those uncertainties start to come to the surface. As Abraham says this to God, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? What can you give me? Maybe you know what that feels like. Maybe that question resonates with you today. Maybe you, you understand what it's like to be in the gap between promise and fulfillment, the gap in between hurt and healing, in the gap in between um, confusion and clarity, in the gap in between thrashing around and thriving. However, right there in the midst of the gap, as Abram is standing there, God reassures him. He says to him, look up at the stars and just try to count them. Uh, My son Lincoln's obsessed with space right now. So I asked him this morning, I was like, how many stars do they think that are in our, our, just our galaxy, right? And Lincoln said, mom, like, they don't know. It's like, there's as many as there are grains of sand on the earth, And that's just our galaxy. Think of our universe. So like God's saying, you know, like, look at these stars and just try to count them. It's impossible, right? And he's speaking these words to a person who in that moment, again, does not have a single son to make into a great nation. But I want you to listen to what Genesis 15 says next. It says, Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. He credited it to him. Try saying that three times really fast. Credited it to him. There's that accounting language again, right? But I want you to notice, like, this doesn't seem like moving something on a ledger that's being talked about here. It doesn't seem like we're trying to appease an angry God or balance any books. No, what is being celebrated in this moment is this exchange that has taken place. There is this exchange that has taken place in this relationship between God and Abraham. Reconciliation has occurred as Abraham decides that he is going to trust God. Reconciliation has occurred as as Abraham takes his beliefs about what he thinks is possible for his life, and he instead trades them for the possibilities of God himself. 
in this moment, what has happened is they have gotten on the same page. What has happened is that they have come to the same position. Abraham, he's been looking at this situation from his own limited perspective in which he knows that his body and his wife's womb are as good as dead. But in this moment, he dares to believe the Lord. He dares to believe the Lord who has sought him out and chased him down and who has loved him up to this very moment. He dares to believe the Lord that he is who he says he is and that he can do what he says he will do. And do you know what the result was right there in the middle of this gap in between the promise and its fulfillment? Hope. Hope. Hope that would sustain Abraham as he walked through suffering. Hope that would give him endurance not to give up. Hope that would shape his character in the process until that day when his son Isaac was finally born and a new nation was born along with him. What was ridiculous to the world became a reality through God. Paul says that that we can have that same peace-filled hope that Abraham had right now in the presence. In fact, he says that we can boast, not braggadociously, but that we can literally like hold our head high as we face suffering, that we can hold our head high as we endure, that we can hold our head high as our character is shaped Not only because you and I can hold our head high to look into the future, to see the promise of God when he will set all things right, but we can hold our heads high because we can also look back and we can see how God is a God who keeps his promises, how God is a God who has kept his promises to Abraham and how God did something just as ridiculous In the person of Jesus. In Jesus, we see that he who was the source of life life itself faced death. So that we who are as good as dead could experience abundant life. In Jesus, we see that we who were, were, uh, uh, we see that he that who was deeply known became estranged. That we who are estranged could become deeply known. We see how he who was whole became broken so that we who are broken could be made whole. We see how he who was full emptied himself so that we who are empty could be filled to the brim. Paul puts it this way. You see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This exchange happened. This has been called the divine or the the wonderful exchange. Jesus has reconciled us to God by becoming what we are in order to make us what he is is. But the question remains, will we have faith? Will we dare to believe like Abraham that that God is who he says he is and that he can do what he says he can do? 
Will we settle for what we think is possible for our lives? Or will we embrace the possibilities of God himself? Will we cling to our own limited perspective? Or will we allow God to align? Will we allow God to correct? Will we allow God to reconcile our vision with his? Um, maybe you all have heard about like all these unclaimed inheritances that are out there. Have y'all heard about this? Has anybody ever like gone online and like Google to see if maybe like they had some money out there? Anybody? Yeah. Okay. So wait a minute. Last service, there was quite a few, quite a few people who did this. Um, Mom, I've read a few stories about this. I know I haven't acted that interested in our genealogy, but I'm getting interested now. If we want to talk after the service, but there's like all this money. They like can't even quantify it because like states don't report it in the same way. This just suffice to say a lot of money that is sitting out there that people have inherited that they don't even like really recognize is theirs. Um, there is this one gentleman I read about from Chicago um, who sadly passed away. His wife had passed away before him. He didn't have any children. And so they've done all this research and they've discovered 120 distant relatives who are about to become $60,000 rich after taxes um, because of his estate. I'm hoping that my name is on that list. I haven't heard from anyone yet, okay? But um, I heard a different, much sadder story about this, though. Um, there was a woman, uh, I think it was in Indianapolis, who was just like really struggling at the end of her life. Uh, right before she passed away, she was struggling to the point that she was experiencing homelessness. But she actually had $884,000 that was sitting there in unclaimed inheritance. It was already hers. She just hadn't claimed it. In a similar way, whether we recognize it or not, we have this rich inheritance through Jesus this rich inheritance that is ours because he has already reconciled us to God. It is ours. This peace is ours. This hope is ours. God has already done all the hard work to make it available to us through the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. But will we claim it as ours? Leslie Newbegin, he explains, we have been given everything, forgiven everything, promised everything, and lack nothing but the faith to believe it. Perhaps you've given up hope that your life could ever change. Perhaps you've resigned yourself to never experiencing healing and wholeness in this part of your life or in that part of your life. Perhaps you've written off uh, fullness and flourishing as absolute foolishness. But maybe today is the day to make an exchange. Maybe today is the day to tell God, you know what? I was wrong. You know what, God? I've doubted that you are who you say you are and that you can do what you say you can do. Maybe today is the day for reconciliation for you and God getting on the same page about what is possible through Jesus. I want to be clear. Hope is not about being optimistic. It's not pie in the sky. It is about trusting God. Trusting the God who has a pretty good track record 
trusting the God who has this pattern of dealing with life's struggles and life's challenges, uh, this God who has a story that he is writing where he not only works around our sufferings, but how he actually works through them, transforming them and using them. We are a part of a story of a God whose reconciling love is revealed most clearly through the story of a cross and an empty tomb through death and resurrection. As dark as our days might get, we can always know that's not the end of the story for us. Because of Jesus, we can know the worst thing is never the last thing for us.